Welcome back to part two of our common reading conversation with our D-Center alums. On 108, in that final paragraph, he says, I never, talking to his son, I never wanted you to be twice as good as them as much as I have always wanted you to attack every day of your brief, bright life and struggle. The people who must believe they are white can never be your measuring stick. Mm, there it is. Mm-hmm. And I wrote in my notes there, Black America's number one dilemma. How do we talk more about that? Why, why, why is it our dilemma and not white people or, or whiteness's problem? When it comes mm. to the physical body, um, it can be it could be a problem for white people or people who rather believe they are white. But the dilemma often means that we are the ones who are disproportionately impacted. We are the ones in prison. We are the ones who um, and, and, and when I said cycle of oppression earlier, we, the people who I know who are adults now are children of circumstances that they mm-hmm. went through. Mm-hmm. And so we are in this cycle of unhappiness um, and unable to thrive. So it is. For me, it is black America's number one dilemma because our bodies are the threatened in this equation. So if we don't participate, then we are at risk of no, losing our body? No, not participating. I think you can claim to not participate, but like if something, if someone pulls me over, I'm, I'm there, mm-hmm. right? I can choose to not allow my mental self to participate and try to, in my best way, it's a it's a certain level of resilience I feel like she was trying to impart on me in that point in time. Mm-hmm. Don't let things sit too long. Don't mm-hmm. let things fester too long. I remember it, it was only because of my experiences at PLU that I had to consciously think about seeing racism and oppression and, and the need for social justice and all of that. Like it was I had to actually work on my awareness of that. And it wasn't until I actually got to PLU and went through some of my experiences there. What do you think of that passage, Nicole, on 108 about... Um, White folks or those who believe they are white can never be your measuring stick. I love the idea and I just cannot figure out how. I'm like, our education system is built to measure the success of white people and then we come in and we join them in their pursuit of excellence. And so how can we not be measured against them when they have the rulers and those rulers bring gifts and an opportunity um, when you participate and when you don't then they turn into wimps I mean I'm thinking about schools where they literally used to so instead of measuring now they're smacking us on the knuckles (laughs) yeah (laughs) you can smack either you're either you measure up or you're you're escorted out or pushed out and I'm I'm thinking about home alone again and I'm just like we grew up and there's a f- house full of kids, but we didn't have that many bedrooms. We mm-hmm. had two, <laughs> two or three. We cut a room up and got another one. So it's just like, how how do we not, how do we live our lives free of being measured by people who believe they are white in, in our current circumstances? And mm-hmm. I can't, I'd love to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just don't know how really thinking about it because it keeps going as I don't I would not have you to I would not have you descend into your own dream I would have you be a conscious citizen of this terrible and beautiful world Mm. and I think about that but I also think about angry anger and how 
to be woke and black in this country is to be in a constant state of anger. James Baldwin? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I'm tired of being angry, so do I stop being angry and ignore the signs and the experience? Is that me not also being measured up? Because is that code switching? Is that Mm -hmm. me sacrificing my body in another way? I don't see my body thriving in this system and in this structure. Mm -hmm. And it just feels kind of hopeless which is a huge theme in this book. (laughs) I totally believe in that sense of hopelessness. And that is also a part of that cycle, right? Because if you internalize, if you internalize your own, the body, Mm self-determination, if you have no hope, Mm -hmm. why even work hard? Why even bother? If you're, if it's such an enormous thing to deconstruct, right? Outside of absolute tyranny, Right. And you and you try to live within it. How do you divorce that idea? Like, how do you function outside of that is your measuring stick? Like that, that is the level of life that you are to adhere to. And, and the ideas of whiteness, this is why I I'm sort of challenged as I've sort of going like going back to church again. This is these are mm. things that I always think about in terms of. What does it mean to sit there and understand Christianity and its role in all of in all of this um, throughout history, mm-hmm. but still have that need for a, a spiritual outlet and connection? And mm-hmm. uh, you know, based on my own experiences, mm-hmm. um, this it's why I adhere to certain things. Mm-hmm. So, but I I I'm sometimes like a faithful doubter. If that makes sense. <laughs> like I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, go ahead. I'm listening to your story. Yeah. But for me, why I go to church is because I hear parables of how to apply to my daily life. Mm. But I recognize the moments that I'm like, okay, girl, you ain't making too much sense right now on the pulpit. So I will, um. I will choose how, when to engage and also recognize the places where I'm supposed to conform Oh, stick through it. You, mm-hmm. Everything will be better. Joy cometh in the morning. You know, those kinds of places where my real stress or levels of like anxiety around existing in this place. Sometimes I'm like, is it is it is it pushing me to conform and like just take a beating? Is this the other messages that happen in white churches? Like, do <laughs> they talk about, about that. taking beatings on a, on a daily basis and trying to like survive and maneuver through the white space? But Ooh. there are times that. I pay attention to the strength that I do get from hearing certain messages. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, somebody's gone through this before and I need to just learn how to deal with this particular situation. I heard you say, ooh, when he said maneuvering <laughs> through white spaces. Is that where you about to go? No. Oh. Well, <laughs> damn. Go. No, go ahead. Oh, damn it. No. Okay, so I said ooh because mm-hmm. you you just spoke on so many things that, and it's like why this book is frustrating because it's so dense. Mm-hmm. It's short. It's really short, but it's so rich, like you said. And he talks about what it means to be sitting through the struggle and reflecting on those who protested in the 60s. He talks about his struggle with religion and how he still believes in love and how he came to believe in love outside of the faith. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he also talks about maneuvering through white spaces. (laughs) And so I just was so sad. (laughs) So what do you all think is the primary reason for Coates writing this text? What is this text for? What does it do? This text is a mirror. It shows you... Come on, metaphor! (laughs) (laughs) You can't escape the truth. Like, I 
had to put this book down, but I also had to pick it back up to continue to dive and to process what what we're actually dealing with, what we're actually facing, and that these false ideas don't protect us. These code switching can't keep you, like a subscription to NRA can't keep you alive. Like there's so many things that won't save you. So I don't know. It's just a mirror and it's honest. It's true. It's heartbreaking. Why did he do all that then? Why did he choose to make us feel heartbroken and pick it up, but to put it back down, then to throw it, but then to hold it and caress it. And then why did why did he write a text that made us feel all these things? I feel like this entire book was the quote-unquote talk that um, mm. Black parents have with their kids, um, and he just wrote it into a full book. Um, but it was like, you know... What happens when you get pulled over by the cops? What happens when what what to look out for um, when you have to just interact in spaces outside of the home so that you don't become a hashtag? I feel like this, and I'm 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 using the theories from my my work because I work in developing leadership, succession planning. Like this was a, an element of succession planning for him, for his family. Um, a conversation that he thinks needed to have that he needed to have with his son, so that he can break the or shatter the the idealistic ideas, like the the idealistic frame of mind that he may have growing up as a kid, so that it's not broken out in the public and in a more um, traumatic way. What is that lesson? The lesson is that you don't have the the luxury of obliviousness. You mm. have to recognize that you are outside of this dream and you are a threat to that dream mm. as long as you are in a black body. And what, it is, what does it mean for you to understand that? And I'm going to teach you that. And this is the lesson that is an, is an extra lesson that him as a black father has to teach, whereas um, ideas around business and budgeting and... Um, Ideas around how do you keep your home, those things that parents teach their kids in order to function without them in the world. This is one of the things that he has had to have a conversation mm. with as a as a person in a black body and who has now produced a son in a black body who he must now prepare to, to adequately maneuver the world as well. Outside of that understanding, I don't find very many strategies to how to cope or navigate that world. Mm. It's like a warning, but... I don't know how to proceed right. based on this writing. Yeah. And I and that's something that I've always thought about is like what are the things that we need to do? How do we move on from this, right? Because mm. we to acknowledge it and recognize that we're in it and I think at some, at some point he talks about the point of this book is to meet the skills with wisdom. Mm. And so, like, you are experiencing this, you're experiencing, like, the first black, like, you grew up with President Obama Mm. um, as your first president, right? You grew up with these ideas of there is a possibility of just doing the best and being the most anything that you can be. But I don't necessarily know if he addresses, okay, well, this is how you counteract it. Because the whole book is painting the idea of you are less than. And I need to tell you that right now because you need to understand what it means to be less than in this world. I don't think he says you're less than because you can't be less than if you're not being measured against. (laughs) 
you can't be less than if you're not being measured against white people and whiteness. If white people can never be his measuring stick, then mm-hmm. he cannot also say that you are less than white people. Right. I no. I totally. I I understand that. I think for for him, what he's trying to paint a picture is that no matter like you have inherited a world where you are not the top of the totem pole mm-hmm. and your your literal life can mean one of the things that keeps those at the top of the totem pole on the totem pole and now you you need to be aware of that and so now that you're aware of that how are you going to function and how are you going to succeed despite that and i feel like writing this book and and talking about all of this stuff in such a way it's preparing his son to say okay how do i apply this knowledge in order to to thrive or without yeah. this book would it have taken him 20 years to understand really and fully and like how would it have hit him hmm. how would how would he have received it if it would have happened outside of the home <laughs> she's very pensive she's thinking <laughs> there is a thought forming in this red head of hers oh, wow. I'm just frustrated because I understand the value of awareness, but that's the first step. Mm -hmm. And what's the next step? He doesn't identify the next step. For me, um, it just seems really hopeless. And I think it just seems really hopeless. Mm -hmm. Period. (laughs) Do you think that's intentional? That he, or what might be some of the reasons why he didn't tell his son and us kind of what to do with all this, this knowledge and all this wisdom that he's giving us. It's not his job. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's no right answer to that question or to the question mm -hmm. of what's next. And I think that so many people want to move past the problem and don't want to sit in the shit and just want to go to the solution. Like, how do we just come and, Build community together. Let's all build a house. And so I think it really just comes back to you need to sit with this and to wrestle with this and understand that. And that's why I named you. You talked about a son being named Mm -hmm. after the struggle. So what do you think? Yeah, I think he's always, you know, been clear that this is not a policy book. (laughs) He's not a policymaker. Mm -hmm. He does not have the answers. It's just as intimate as it can be because it's a book. But an intimate letter to him from him to his son um and that you know maybe the solution there is no maybe there is no solution right now mm. maybe it's like you said what well, we always say that you just got to kind of sit in this shit and sit in this new understanding or this this veil maybe mm. that i've um inched up just a little bit so that you can understand the world that you live in and the body that you live in mm-hmm. and how the world wants to take your body away um, and maybe at this point, maybe this book might be enough for somebody to sit mm. in for a while. Like, I might not be ready. If this was like <laughs> another hundred pages, I would not have been ready yeah. to digest that because there's so much that, that we keep saying that the text is so rich, but it is so rich and so much and so so dense. You think you're going to get through these 125 pages in an hour and it takes you a week (laughs) and a half. Um, And so maybe, maybe he's not ready for that. Maybe his son, he was thinking Mm. that my son is not ready for me to not necessarily give solution, but to give next steps. Mm. I don't know. And it could be a level of, okay, I, 
I don't have the solution. I don't know if white people know that they are they need to be a part of the solution in this. But you just need to be aware of this, mm-hmm. and um, maybe it's some, maybe it is him who will bring it along. Um, and he's and I've heard him say or read somewhere that he said that this text is not for white people. It right. is for his son. It's for people of color. Mm-hmm. And so maybe the solution doesn't lie with people of color. Maybe that's why he didn't write mm. um, what we need to do, because maybe we don't need to do anything. Maybe this is not, you know, our issue, not our system to to break. Maybe it's that's the book for the white person to write to white people mm. about what they need to do um, with this wisdom that, you know, of course, that they've entered into with this text. So maybe he was very intentional saying, you know, I'm not going to write about what white people need to do because this ain't for them anyway. Mm-hmm. Or it's not my job mm-hmm. to to clarify this. Like yeah. it's not my job. I am I am talking about my experience. What mm-hmm. you should be expected as based on my experience. What your I mean, what your expectations should be based on my experience. And I totally agree with you. It it, it and it didn't have to be that. Mm-hmm. It didn't have to be that. Right? Yeah. So if you all were to write a text similar to this, if you were to write a letter to someone about body, about being in our black and brown bodies, about what the dream means to us, um, white supremacy, folks who believe themselves to be white, who would you write that letter to and why? I would write this letter to younger marginalized. And this is, I, it's hard to like say. I mean, I don't have my own child. In, in the intimacy with which he tries to write this letter, or if he does write this letter. Um, but I would talk about people who have had my unique experiences. So people like maybe from the Caribbean who have certain ideas around um, traditions of gender, traditions of society, um, and how do we place it and understand that we are a part of a larger uh, narrative that is happening around the world, is global anti-blackness, um, anti-LGBTQ identity um, and what does that look like and to also participate as a part of it. One of the things that I've often, one of the things that I've been thinking about is like, what does it mean to bring out certain aspects of, and the words that I have for it is leadership, right? Certain aspects of leadership as someone who has a marginalized identity and how do you come up with solutions? How do we try to meet the conversation Mm -hmm. uh, wherever it may be happening? Recognize when there's not a conversation happening. How do we say, okay, um, why is there not a conversation happening? Um, But not just that, recognize when it's not your job to create the solution necessarily. Um, Because it is something that probably is outside of our realm of influence. Mm -hmm. Can we really topple the power if we don't really have it? Who would you write to, Nicole? (laughs) I have five nieces, mm. and I would write to them. Mm. And <laughs> stop. <laughs> um, just about self love mm. and how to pursue that in spite of all things. So I got to figure that out <laughs> in order to write about it. Or maybe you don't. Maybe or that's maybe part of it. It's part of the, the beautiful struggle <laughs> that he talks about, mm-hmm. struggling to be able to articulate mm-hmm. what this stuff is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely write to them. And reading this as a millennial, you know, it's sort of, we we grew up, I believe myself as sort of like a on the cusp of being a digital 
<laughs> what? No, like digital native versus digital immigrant. And so what I'm talking... Wait, I have a point. Um, <laughs> Wasn't that the last question? No. With regards to being a millennial, I think that there is a level of instant gratification. And so what does it mean to be... To struggle? To understand that this struggle is... It might be larger than your actual life. Ooh. Like, the change will not come overnight. Yeah. It has been a long, like, journey. And... The, your individual happiness is most important in the midst of this. Don't feel like you need to sacrifice yourself to, to try to solve the problem here. Well, damn, can I say who I was going to write my letter to? Right. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. Well, no, I was still and, I was bouncing off of that. Angie. Angie. <laughs> who are you writing your letter to? Who are you writing your letter I'm to? I'm writing Angie? my letter to my son, Senko, who we all know and love. Mm-hmm. I think um, as... Black single mom, I think a lot about my son's body and how my son's body is under attack every day by whiteness, a system. Um, and so I want to be able to talk to him about that. I want to be able to talk about his masculinity and how that manifests itself yeah. and how what it means, quote unquote, to be a man and how I'm going to frame that to him. Um, so that it's not toxic and it's not destructive and it doesn't harm the bodies of others. And I would like to, I would probably write him a letter telling him about his village. Um, Someone (laughs) joked that his village is actually the village people, that everyone who's in his life are so different. Mm -hmm. They're queer folk. There are trans folk. There are black folk. There are Latinx folks. There are folks who speak Spanish, folks who speak English, old folks, young folks, able-bodied folks, um, differently able folks. Choose the identity, and those are the people that are in his life. And what a privilege it is for him to to grow up in a village um, that is so diverse, that is offering him so many perspectives and, and around so many people who are invested in his body. Um, and what that means to a little black boy. So that's why I would like write my letter too. Thanks for asking. You're welcome. I do what I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just there are so many black mothers who have black sons, and this is a letter from a black father to a black son. Yeah, and there are very many voices of women in it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I w- I was not frustrated by that, but I was confused. It felt like there was something missing, but at the same time, I think that speaks to the disconnect and the distance between men and women. Mm. What do you all think? I was fascinated that it was the boy's mother. Tanahasi's, um, or rather Mr. Coates's wife, um, who pointed out an alternative, mm-hmm. like an alternative life outside of the struggle, right? Yeah. Outside of the place that gives you so much anxiety and introduced him to Paris for the first time. Mm-hmm. And to to be able to feel that sense of relief once leaving America that he mm-hmm. did feel, but her her ability to introduce him to that and not just got get stuck in that place where he is and to 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 even to hope for um more to want mm-hmm. more for yourself to see yourself as as a free agent mm-hmm. outside of this this system 
so I feel like she had a very, very big role to play in that, to help him sort of, and I, I, it just kind of speaks to a very, very tough line of resiliency that I have seen a lot of black women have even in the middle of this power dynamic of the dream and bodies and agency and stuff like that to be able to keep going to be to be able to want to pursue and and want more for yourself and to explore alternative options for that mm-hmm. in, while even in the middle of this yeah so having read the text and having sat with the text for couple of weeks, a couple of months. What's next for each of you after after being so immersed in this book? It's a beautiful struggle. I, what's next for me after this book is just continuing the conversation, um, continuing to learn about myself and if I'm falling into the dream, if I'm protecting my body, if I'm practicing self-love and and connecting with community in proactive and healthy ways because um, I don't want to get lost. So I think it's staying connected to community, um, continuing to read and to learn and to love. I think it's prioritizing self mm. for me, knowing that, like, I mean, understanding that the body is... In, in this system, not mine. And so I have to make sure that I have radical self-care. Hmm. And what that means for me in my work is taking my time off and knowing how to care for myself in the midst of that, knowing how to not necessarily feel like I need to to, to help people with their own conversations around race and the power struggle and all that bunch of stuff. For me, it's essentially like be while being in the struggle, like not struggling. Sure, got you. What about you? This I need to work on this because my mind first went to the course I'm, the courses I teach. Mm-hmm. So thinking about my writing one on one course that work um, looks at race, the construction of race, and then the social work course in Tobago that looks at community cultural wealth and how context influences service. And then I had to stop and say, when I heard you all talking, like, why am I talking about other people and not talking about myself? (laughs) (laughs) And so I need to um, practice some radical self-care and think about how preserving and taking care of my body only aids in protecting my son's body, which is the, the body that's most important to me right now. And how if I'm not healthy, if my body's in danger, then then so is his. So what am I doing for self in order to be able to care for the other others that mean the most to me? So I need to work on that. And we need you. Like people like us need our Angies in order to like help us know how to maneuver this and be an example of how to maneuver that. So you you do have to take care of yourself because you are like we're all looking at you. I hope you know that. I blush. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, on that note, I mean, you know, I feel real good. Um, Thank you, Nicole and Maurice, for being a part of our first Decenter Alumni podcast. Um, We could talk about this text for hours. There's so many things that 
we didn't have time to touch upon um, that we hope you all as listeners and as readers of the text, mm-hmm. you're not just reading this text, you're absorbing it and you're really sitting in it. And you're not looking at this text or this podcast for answers, because hopefully what we did was we gave you a lot more questions <laughs> than answers because we're still engaged in in the text as well. So thanks again. Shout out. Um, everyone from the beautiful Twin Island Republic of Trinidad and Tobago. Yes. <laughs> That's my shout out. <laughs> Nicole, shout out. Jordan family. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. Joe Jordans. Shout out to Marketing Communication, who's making helping us make this possible. Shout out to Lay Smith, who continues to work to center our voices. Yes. Shout out to the D Center. Shout out to POU. Shout out to all D Center alums out there, all POU alums. What's up? Um, thank you for joining us and be on the lookout for our next podcast. Bye. Holla. <laughs>